Hey everybody, this week's conversation with Sue Robotti is right, oh my gosh, right up my alley. We talked about prescription medication. If you know me at all, you know that one of the things I stand for is aging in good health without the use of prescription medications, or if and when we need them, and we will, we have, we do, then we should know all of the risks and complications. How do we offset them? Is it possible to, and how long should we stay on them? Some things are being prescribed for life. Statins for 30 or 40 years? I don't think so. Not on my watch, not on Sue's watch. If you have any concerns about for yourself or your family members, then you need to listen in, get to know Sue's work and her website, her not-for-profit. And I tell you, I learned a lot and I study this stuff all the time. And by the way, she's an FDA on the FDA board of consumers. So she gets to see the science that we don't. She reads all of the good, the bad, and the ugly. And she talks about it on her website and she talks about it on this call. So I hope you listen in. And once again, as always, please share the word if you will. Thank you. This is the Rebellious Wellness Over 50 podcast for women over 50 who have a lot of living yet to do who want to enjoy the ride for as long as they can in good health and with a sense of humor, maybe a little wine. I'm Gregory Ann Cox, and I believe it's time to bust the myth that aging equals decline in every area of life. Nonsense. I would say something else, but I'll keep it clean for now. Aging happens, but it doesn't have to ruin your life. You just need to get a little rebellious in your approach. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Rebellious Wellness Over 50. Today, my guest is a woman that I must have channeled into existence. I've been looking for a professional who can speak to prescription medicine in a balanced way when we need it, when we maybe could use an alternative. Uh, Her name is Sue Robati, and I'm really happy to introduce you to her. Sue, welcome. Thank you. Sue has a nonprofit organization called Med Shadow. She started this foundation in 2013 because she was harmed by a medicine and unable to bear children. And the drug was DES, diethyl stilbestrol. You may have heard about it. It was given to her mom and millions of other women when her mom was pregnant with her. So right about now, Sue will take medicine when needed, but because of DES, she's very hesitant and instead One of my favorite things, she pays attention to her lifestyle habits to help her avoid harmful drugs when she doesn't need them. Sue, I want you to tell the people your story. What a terrible thing to have happen to you, not even you, right? You, the in in utero little creature. So tell us a little bit about that and how that brought you to Med Shadow. Yeah, it's a little tiny fetus. Yeah. So I'm the third of four children that my mother had. And after her first birth, she then miscarried a couple of times. And this is back in the 1950s. At the time, what doctors were prescribing for women at risk of miscarrying was diethylstilbestrol, DES. And it was a wonder drug. It would help women give birth to babies that were bigger and better and otherwise impossible. All a lie. Anytime you hear the phrase wonder drug, please walk the other way. Mm. Wonder drugs are, I mean, I'm going to wander off into another topic myself. That's okay. Let me stay here. 
but it is not a wonder drug. It was a drug with that was very badly used. I want to say it's a bad drug, but there aren't bad drugs. They're just drugs that are inappropriately used. Uh-huh. There are very few good uses for DES in humans and animals. So my mother was given it. It was given out to many, between 5 and 10 million women. Nobody knows the number. Wow. We're pregnant during the late 40s, all through the 50s, 60s into 1971 when it was indicated, but not withdrawn from the market by the FDA. And many doctors kept giving it afterwards because they could see with their own eyes that these women who had previously miscarried were having big, healthy babies. Of course, in nature, at least one out of every pregnancies ends in a miscarriage because the process is so complex. Mm. Your body makes a mistake and says, oops, let's start again. So a 25% miscarriage rate should be expected, but mm. it was a time of wonder drugs and they wanted to fix everything. So what DES is the very first synthetic estrogen. So it was much more powerful than your natural estrogen. The theory behind it medically was that when women are pregnant, if the estrogen in their body level drops, it indicates a miscarriage is coming. coming. So, hey, let's pump them full of estrogen. Mm. They, and they put in so much more estrogen than nature could ever absorb or manage with that. And basically, it kind of attacked the fertility organs for both men and women. The offspring, the DES daughters and sons, I'm a DES daughter, tended to have some abnormalities. And we don't even know how many because nobody was looking for it. Right. So the, the things we know are that some girls and DES daughters ended up having malformed fertility organs. There was very, very, and still is actually a cancer called CCA. Please don't ask me to say it. Clear cell adenocarcinoma. That was very good. Thank you. It's a uterine cervix cancer, very rare, had only seen and been seen in women over the age of 90. And something like seven young women between the ages of 15 and 21 all presented with it at a Boston hospital in the same year. And the mothers got together and the mothers went to the doctors and said, could it be this DES that was given to me when I was pregnant? All of them had confirmed exposure to DES. So that's how they, that's the only way they found it because it was so dispersed and the damages were discovered so much later. Who would tie infertility when you're 25 to, you know, a drug your mother was given 26 years ago. That's crazy. So it had other effects also. The women who actually were given the DES and took it had a very high rate of breast cancer. It's estrogen. Breast cancer loves estrogen. The daughters themselves had early onset cancer, breast cancer. And the sons had several testicular issues, hypospadias, another fun word to say. That's a good word. Which is where the, it's a kind of a funny thing, the, the, the urinary pipe comes out the wrong part of the penis. So it's, and it's actually cosmetic surgery to fix it. It's not that hard. It just comes out the top or the side, but it's traumatic for the parents. For a guy, yeah, for the parents. Yeah, very traumatic. So there don't seem to be any cancers attached to them. Anyway, all of that is to say, fortunately, I'm healthy today, except that I'm infertile, but I didn't have any of the cancers and my organs were just deformed. But in every other way, I've been very healthy and very happy. 
But it did make me very wary. And my mother was always very hesitant to take any medicine or give us any medicine. I'm not sure I had a cold and flu medicine until I went off to college and bought one. It was just assumed that, you know, if you're sick enough to stay in bed, no TV and that got us right. out of bed pretty quickly. We had tea and ginger ale. I think that was the saltine crackers. That was the medicine. Yep, flat ginger ale. Exactly. Yep, flat. <laughs> <laughs> so, so life went on, and I grew up, got married, and got to the point in my life about ten years ago where I I had worked for a long time. My husband and I were financially comfortable. He was going gangbusters. I had sold my company and didn't know what to do next. And I, I could do anything that I went to. I could go back to school. I could start a company. I could do, I had the flexibility to do anything. And I thought if I could do anything in the world, world peace, you know, feed the orphans, you know, what would I do? What could I do? And I thought I never want DES to happen ever, ever again. Mm-hmm. And nothing like it. It's, it's just wrong that a medicine given to people in trust the doctors trusted it. The mothers trusted it. The families did. And it it created such pain and agony. There's so many daughters and mothers who cannot talk about that. Just mm. can't. They can talk about anything else, but not that. So I thought about starting an organization for DES, but there's a wonderful one that already exists called oh, yeah. DES Action and fantastic work. And I thought, but there's other DESs out there. I was very aware of what was going on with ADHD drugs. This Mm. was years ago. And I live in New York City and everybody, adult and child, seems to be taking ADHD drugs. And I know that there, at the time, and I believe it's still true, there's no study of the long-term effects of ADHD drugs, particularly on a brain and puberty. Mm -hmm. So so I thought I will start an organization. Well, first I thought I'd just tell doctors and I'd talk to them. And I realized quickly, I'm not a doctor. They won't listen to me. And then I thought I would, you know, pass a law. But laws are hammers. They're clumsy things. So I thought education, patient education, people education is much, is is the best way to go. If I can just reach out to people and remind them of what they know, that medicines can harm as well as heal, that Every medicine has a side effect, but not every medicine works for you every time. Mm-hmm. Um, that that you need to think carefully before you take a medicine, recognizing the risk of side effects, and is that acceptable to you? Mm-hmm. A good friend of mine confided in me the other day, so I'll just leave this vague, that he was he had a while ago struggled with some depression. And had worked his way through it, but had then started taking a statin that was prescribed by his doctor. And he found depression coming in again. And he was smart enough to say, this is a new symptom six months after I started taking a new medicine. Could it be linked? And it was. Mm-hmm. Now, there are a dozen statins out there. And a few of them tend to depression side effects. Mm-hmm. Some don't. The doctor had simply thought through the process. They could have discussed it and said, let's try a statin if you truly need it. Let's try one that doesn't tend to have the side effect of depression. But no, yeah. the doctor didn't even consider it. Yeah. So you have to be aware of it. You have to think about it. Which is why your organization is much needed. We could clone you and probably save a lot of people. I, I seem to have, I've always been um, stat cautious. Let's put it that way. 
because mm-hmm. in all of my studies of cholesterol, which is natural to the body, but we've decided that one is harmful and one is happy and all of the ways that we've made it into this, or big pharma has made it into this multi-billion dollar industry also tipped me off. Like, why are they so keen on promoting these things like a cure-all? And now I was reading a book recently, and I guess it was in the, in the 2000s at some point, you may remember, when all of a sudden they lowered the recommended level of LDL from like 120 down to 100, and then they lowered it down again. And then there was a polypill which was uh, a statin and blood pressure medication. And they said, we should put everybody on it in the world from the time they're a teenager or something. I was thinking, oh, dear Lord, this has gone out of, out of control, people. So, yeah, I'm a, I'm a statin-wary kind of person. And there are also people are preventing, presenting with symptoms of MS, Parkinson's at the highest doses, like the people that get 60 milligrams, 80 milligrams at a time. They're just, yeah. it's really sad. Do you cover any of that in your, we on your do. website? Yeah, we do. I actually, I'm going to start with a personal story again, if I could. Please do. My, my husband, my poor husband, because I won't let him have cold and flu. The stuff is really bad for you, by the way. It's, it's, it's just. Disgusting. I had to take a gulp before we got on because my cold is just so, I was like, I have to do something. Okay. Now tell me, first tell me your husband's story, then tell stuff, me about yeah, the cold medicine. Okay. So. So my husband went to the doctor. This this also was about 10 years ago, when, about when I was starting Med Shadow. And the doctor said, your cholesterol is you know, high. I want you to start in a statin. And so he obediently did. And the first one didn't really sit well with him. His stomach upset. So he called the doctor and he gave him a different one. And you know, he went through a couple of different, different types. And and I kept saying, do you really need a statin? How do you know you need a statin? Do you, can you do something else? And he was like, the doctor says I need a statin. I'll take the statin. And so there is a side effect of statins. It's a muscle ache. Uh-huh. And uh, a lot of people have, have muscle aches. In fact, um, 30%, up to 30% of the people taking statins have muscle aches. But at the time, and up until literally two years ago, doctors said that is just a made up thing. You just think you have right. muscle aches. You don't. You had something else. So he was, but muscle aches is also the first sign of something statins definitely can cause, can cause which is rhomboid rhomboidosis one of those <laughs> yes and it is a thing that where your muscles essentially eat themselves because right. there's so much lactic acid built up in it and statins can cause that of course it's rare so one day i caught him rubbing his thighs and oh, you have muscle aches you stop those statins right now so he said okay 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 so he called his doctor and said i'd like to stop statins and try diet and exercise and the doctor said Sure, you're kind of a borderline case anyway. Mm. Really? And and doctor never said doctor and uh, diet and exercise was an option. So the doctor said, come in, we'll take um some blood and see where you are now. Stop taking statins for three to six months, come back and we we'll see where you are again. Did all that. He always ate pretty well, but he cut out the Entenmann's donuts. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> oh, who's perfect? And he started doing a few exercises. He lost literally five to seven pounds. And he started walking just a little bit more, maybe 10 minutes a day. And the next time I went to see the doctor in four or five months, the doctor said, yeah, you're fine. You're in the safety zone. You don't need statins at all. It was such a minor effort for him to not need to use them at all. Mm. So I felt very justified in all that. I would too. About a, a year and a half, two years ago, a study came out that that actually identified what 
is, and I please don't ask me what it is. And let me just say to people now, I am not a doctor. I'm not a scientist. I am a person just like you are. And I'm a person who has had certain experiences that I think are important to share with other people. So what I say is based on research that I've read, research that we've published that that is available. It's all available on MedShadow. So even that story I just told you, I've written about that story. And what I'm about to tell you about the the muscle aches and pains is the study that showed it actually is a thing. And this is how statins work in your body to create muscle aches and pains is on uh, the most recent article on statins in MedShadow. So you can double check me and please do. I want you to do your own homework. I'm with you there. Yes. So statins can, they can increase your liver enzymes, which is concerning. Over the course of using statins for a number of years, it seems that while liver enzymes do often rise with statins and can harm your liver, it hardly ever causes what's called an adverse event, which Mm -hmm. is death or significant hospitalization. It can harm your liver and make it less effective at what it does. And you really do want your liver to work. So when you do need medicines, they can go through the liver and work effectively. But unless it's an adverse event, then it's only a side effect Uh and therefore is tolerable. So drug tests to to check for liver enzymes are no longer required, although most doctors will start with a a liver enzyme test. and, And you should ask for that. Statins are correlated with with increasing your risk for developing diabetes, type 2 mm-hmm. diabetes. So if that runs in your family or if you're overweight, think carefully before using statins and back that. Pay attention to the risk of diabetes for you. The, the cognitive slippage that a lot of people seem to feel on statins, research goes both ways. Mm-hmm. I've, I have friends who have talked about the fog that they felt on statins. But research shows that potentially it it helps. And statins have a protective quality for some cancers. I mean, not all side effects are bad side effects. Uh So women who have been taking statins for at least six months, coincidentally, before being diagnosed with breast cancer, seem to have a higher survival rate. Not massively, but somewhat higher. It's not a reason to take statins, unless maybe you're at super high risk of breast cancer. Talk to your doctor. Maybe that's a reason to take it. There's another one. Oh, brain cancer. It's, it, it slightly protects you from brain cancer or people on statins. On statins with less, yeah. Seem to have less brain. brain but statins also interact with other drugs. And mm-hmm. older people tend to take statins. The older you are, the more likely you're taking a statin. And 20-year-olds hardly ever get it. Right. And if you're taking statins and have a high cholesterol... Some of the drug in, the drugs that it interacts with are a little concerning, like br- blood pressure lowering medicines, which are calcium channel blockers, mm-hmm. are, are don't don't mix well with statins. Drugs that treat an irregular heartbeat, mm-hmm. that's again a, a digoxin, those kind of drugs, not a good idea. Heart failure medicines, drugs known as fibrates, which lower your tri and blood thinners. If you're taking Coumadin, be very careful taking statins. Talk to your doctor about it. It's not indicated to do it. Mm-hmm. But what you can do, just to keep running on, what you can do if you want to take my husband's route, which would make me very happy, <laughs> is you can start walking for 
15 more minutes than you used to walk every day. You can eat soy. Soy to me is a little controversial because it's got yeah, a lot of too. estrogen in it. And mm-hmm. I avoid estrogen. Yeah. I, I imagine but you soy, would. It seems, <laughs> it seems to have a cholesterol-lowering effect. Flaxseed, flaxseed supplements can be helpful in lowering your cholesterol. Garlic. And who doesn't love garlic bread? So eat a lot of garlic. <laughs> Green tea is good. And oats and oat bran. It just reminded me I was, I love bread and I've been cutting back on bread and I miss it. So I was just reading about how white bread is very bad for you, but oat and whole wheat are very good, are very good types of bread. If they're really right, you know, real, right. Not just they wave the thing over the top of the package. Yeah. Exactly. I want to mention one of the alternatives that a lot of people hear about for lowering cholesterol is red rice yeast. But I want to put a little little note in there that red rice yeast works by the same method of action as statins do. And so they can cause the same kinds of side effects as statin does, even though people, you know, red rice yeast is the answer. May not be the answer for everybody. Can we talk about supplements for a minute? Sure. You would think that I would love supplements because they're healthier or, you know, more whole and they're, they're not necessarily. I mean, you read any Agatha Christie novel and you'll find out just how, how dangerous plants can be. And, <laughs> but what people don't realize is that the FDA, while it has the power to, does not manage supplements. It no. doesn't approve them. It doesn't test them. It doesn't look at the facilities that they're made in. And the FDA does do all that for prescription drugs, mm-hmm. but they don't do it for OTC drugs, over-the-counter drugs. They don't do it for supplements. So particularly for supplements, you need to be careful. There are lots and lots of studies out there. Again, you'll find it on MedShadow if you look, that show at least in many cases, 50 or 60% of the supplements tested had only trace amounts of flaxseed oil. And they claim to be all flaxseed oil. Or worse than that, they have a prescription drug in it without telling you. So there are supplements that have things like metformin in them because Mm -hmm. it'll, it'll, you know, lower your insulin. Uh, So the concern is when you're taking a supplement, you may or may not be getting what you think you're getting and you may be getting something you don't know. So here's a couple of suggestions on what you can look for when you, when you take a supplement. I keep buying supplements and then not taking them. I have a whole (laughs) shelf full. I take a ton of vitamin D and vitamin D at the very least. Sue, come on. I take a walk outside. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm such a chicken on this stuff. So you look for, first of all, big brand names because they have something to lose if they cheat and get caught. There's mm-hmm. the little small specialty companies. If they get, they cheat and put bad things or sawdust in it and get caught, they just disappear and open another company. Secondly, there are drug companies, there are companies that are independent drug testers mm-hmm. and, or supplement testers. So look on the label to see if it is certified, if the contents are certified genuine and make sure that it's not just by Walgreens wonderful staff, which it will often <laughs> say, but by an independent by an independent company. Right. And there's Those an are- online company, sorry to interrupt, mm-hmm. called consumerlabs.com. Thank you. And they sorry if I stole your thunder there. They're my go-to place. The subscription, I mean, for me, because I get a lot of questions from clients, I pay $39 a year to have access to all of the reports. Yeah. But and they can't test every supplement on the planet but they do test major brands 
for a lot of, and recently they've been writing to their members and saying, what brands of, let's just say vitamin D would you like us to test or what brands of L-carnitine? So they're getting more of what their readers want to know about, but they do a really good job. I'm actually, I had literally forgotten about Consumer Labs. I used to check on it and I mm-hmm. kind of forgot. So I'm glad you brought it up. Thanks. Okay, good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. everything, it comes back to doing your homework, whether we're thinking of a supplement or, or a drug or whatever, there's so much information, but where is that information rooted? Who is it coming from? You know, Google, the first couple of pages of Google are going to be the people with the most marketing dollars. That's what's going to come up. If you want to go, there's something called Google Scholar, which mm-hmm. gives you the more science-based, but still you kind of have to be careful. So I would say an organization like yours is trustworthy. You even say on your website, why should you believe us? Who's paying our bills? That kind of thing. Very transparent, which is important. We'd never accept any support or financial donations from pharmaceutical companies or medical device manufacturers. Yes, all of our funding comes from individual small donors. Uh, we wouldn't mind if some, you know, foundations want to grant us some money. So feel free. But but it's it's important to remember that we're just we're not a healthy country. No. Six out of ten Americans have a chronic illness. Mm. Four out of 10 have two chronic illnesses. And the chronic illness could be, you know, asthma, but it could be diabetes. 8% of Americans used a prescription drug in the past 30 days. And don't forget those over 65, it's 42% of them take five or more prescription drugs daily. Wow. So that is just like soup. It's like a, a bad soup because all those drugs interacting, you're going to get side effects that nobody even knew existed. Okay. They're just going to bounce off of each other and have these other effects. There's kind of this movement called de-prescribing. Uh, have you heard about this? I have it's, not. It is what it sounds like. But there's in the medical field, there's kind of a movement for it. We've been doing a series of articles on de-prescribing. And the articles are stories of people went to the doctor and said, I'm taking five, six, 15 medicines, and I just feel crappy. And I don't even know what, it's, I've forgotten what half of them even do or some of them. And so the doctors, and this is hard to find a doctor who would take the time to do this because they have to unwind all this. It might mm. be a cardiologist gave you this right. pill, the another doctor gave you that pill. So the doctor has to go back to the cardiologist and say, listen, you know, it's been uh, the person's been fine for seven years. Do so they still need to be taking a baby aspirin every day? You know? mm-hmm. Do they still need to be taking Coumadin? And, you know, and sometimes the doctor there would just say, yeah, 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 they do. I prescribed it. They need it. But sometimes the doctor, they try to peel back one at a time, taking away just one because, you know, you don't want to upset everything. And there's been a lot of success with that. But nobody pays a doctor to do that. It's right. It's, and in a your lot. seven minutes, it would be very hard for them to have a thorough <laughs> deep dive into your six or seven meds and contacting other doctors. But I was to stay safe, but to stay safe, I've, I've to, I'm totally like a runaway horse on this. Yeah. To stay safe, one of the things you can do for yourself is first of all try to try to have an internist, a, a central doctor, who uh, always knows all the doctors that you're seeing and all the doctors send the reports them. It may it should help but it's all in one place. And then, and so your electronic health records will be somewhat complete or complete, but also do the same thing for your, any medicines or supplements or over the counter medicines you take, go to the same pharmacy 
I don't care if it's a CVS or a mom and pop, go to the same pharmacy. And that way you can walk up to the pharmacist and say, I have a headache and I'm pretty sure it's a sinus headache. Can I take Sinutab or a sign off or, you know, pseudofedrine? It's a whole nother issue going on there with pseudofedrine and phenofedrine. You know, can I take that with the Coumadin I'm taking or with the statin I'm taking? And they'll tell you for free without an appointment and you'll be safer. Mm -hmm. If you send all of your prescriptions to the same pharmacy, the pharmacist is your last line of defense. Mm -hmm. The pharmacist has all of your medicines and will flag this medicine conflicts with that medicine and will call your doctor for you. The doctor would take that call to say, Mm -hmm. can we substitute this with that? Pharmacists are drug experts. They are a valuable asset and we pay them nothing. Really? I know that there was a recent story in the Times about pharmacists uprising because they're overworked and underpaid. I wanted to just say something about this whole, while we're being careful, to add to your note about, you know, be careful before you take something. I interviewed somebody, this is a number of years ago, a physician who worked for the FDA. And his parting words during a long conversation were, this is one grand experiment and we are the guinea pigs. My colleagues and I don't take anything unless we absolutely have an infection that's raging out of control. He said, I don't take over-the-counter meds. I'll take an aspirin. But really, people don't even know because we don't know. And like you said earlier on in the conversation... It's the long-term testing that's missing on many of these drugs, and the long-term testing on polypharmacy is missing completely. Nobody's testing what happens if you take five different drugs. They just can't. It's impossible. Well, you look at Wagobi. What a genius oh, bottle. Yeah. We have to do a whole other thing with Wagobi because I am on the FDA. The oh, that's Drug right. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Advisory committee for drug safety and risk management. And I was on the original committee, much to my embarrassment now, that approved Wagobi for diabetes. And it's an okay drug. And even then they were saying, it's an okay drug, you know, not a great drug. It's not a new metformin, which has its own problems too. It has a lot of side effects, but it does lower blood sugar. And it doesn't tend to put you into hypoglycemia or super low blood mm-hmm. sugar. It does that less often than insulin or, or metformin does. It's also a little bit better than those two drugs at uh, protecting you from cardiovascular risk, which is a big, big issue with diabetes. Mm-hmm. But the issue, the problem with Wagovi, the red flag, when looking at it just for diabetes, this is long before it was considered for as a weight loss drug. There was a notation that you lose 5 to 10% of your body weight, well, 5% of your body weight on Wagovi. Now they're claiming 20 and 30%, but when they went to the FDA the first time, they said 5%. And seriously, 5% on a 200-pound person is, is not a significant amount of money. No. Uh, p- money of, uh, weight. <laughs> They're going to make a lot of money. It's very expensive. They are. Well, it wasn't that expensive to begin with. But the issue, the real red flag, the real problem is that Wagovi and Ozempic, there's something called diabetic retina, retina. And so 50% of people with diabetes will go blind because yeah. of this. And it basically affects the blood vessels going to your eyes. And semaglutides will superpower that, will make it happen faster and, and worse. There's an early study that indicated that your risk went up, but then it leveled off, you know, of, of, of increased diabetic retinopathy and then 
maybe went down, but but they didn't pursue that study. So they couldn't prove it ever went down. They could just show the diabetic level risk went way up. So the doctors on the committee convinced me and everyone else that diabetic retinopathy is treatable and anybody using Wagovi for diabetes would have a doctor that would be looking for the beginnings of, of diabetic retinopathy. And if caught early, can be managed pretty well. And therefore, for people who can't tolerate the other drugs used for diabetes, this was a valid drug. And I thought, well, okay, we know what the, the worst risk is, and, and there is a way to manage it. And I voted for it with the complaint that it had only been tested on white men. And there were two studies in Japan, so Japanese men too. So it was just overwhelmingly white. But diabetes is much more common with non-Hispanic Black and Hispanic populations and women, none of which were represented in this trial. So we don't know how Wagobi works in women or Hispanics or Black people. We just don't know. Everyone gets to talk for a couple minutes at the end of the, the voting and everything. And I, I put in a big thing for it. We need long-term testing. You need to be registering people. You need to know what's going on because you don't know what you don't know. And you look at Ambien, you know, it has a dramatically different effect on women than it does than men. It stays in the body 50% or 100% longer, causing accidents and problems the following day. Well, who knows what we use? Is it going to build up in women's bodies more? What will it do? What will it do in Hispanic bodies? Well, as far as I know, none of that's happening. It hasn't been required by the FDA. And now, sorry, I'm wrapping up, I swear. No, no, it's now, good. It's all good. <laughs> Now, Wagobi is being given out like it's candy, Ozempic, like it's the anti-candy, and <laughs> nobody's watching them. You're not getting the kind of oversight from your doctor as if you were a diabetic taking Wagobi. Does Wagobi cause retinopathy in non-diabetics? If you have a risk of retinopathy, does it shoot up again? Of course it would. I mean, logic tells me it would. I'm not a doctor. Nobody studied it. I don't know what I don't know. So there's another thing doctors say commonly is never take a new drug. Never. Yeah. Not unless you're it's your last resort. Mm -hmm. At least five or six years. Everyone else who's taken it, you can see the the carnage, the problem. And thirty percent thirty percent of new drugs end up with a black box warning, but not until five years later. Oh interesting. A black, a black box warning is the most dire warning of mm -hmm. this drug puts you at risk of your life or severe harm. And I've heard some side effects, some fallout from these weight loss drugs, as they're calling them. Now, actually malnutrition in some people, because they completely lose the lose interest in eating. And other things, there are always the gastro. Some people get the gastro. What's this? <laughs> what was that? Muscle tone. Yeah. Muscle tone. When you're right. losing weight, you're losing muscle and weight. Yeah. And when you stop taking it, you're not going to put muscle back on unless you work out like a dog. Right. You know, your natural muscle mass will shrink. Yeah. And the gastric, well, that was the other thing. Bring 20, it soon. Come on. 20% <laughs> of the people in the Wagovi trial, the clinical trial that went to the FDA, 20% of the people in the trial dropped out all because they couldn't take the, the gastric discomfort. Mm -hmm. 20%. And to get into a, a drug trial, you have to be pretty healthy. Yeah. You have to have only one disease, only the one they're studying. So, you know, if you've got diabetes, they don't want you to be overweight. They don't want you to have really? issues. They don't want you. They're going to find the cleanest, healthiest people they can. And they'll say it so they can get a clean read on what the drug does. 
but it means they don't know what it does when people have multiple chronic or other issues. Well, how do you find a diabetic that doesn't have a heart problem? I mean, the heart <laughs> has been struggling bathing in that stew of too much sugar for years before the symptoms of diabetes, generally speaking, present as a problem. So they look for people with the least heart issues. Okay. All right. I'll give them that. <laughs> oh, dear, dear, dear. So what are we to do, Sue? What are we as you and I getting information out to people? Uh, what's the best course of action? Well, start off right. Eat healthy. Exercise. Uh, in COVID, I took up tennis. I haven't played tennis I don't want to tell you my age. I was like, she's not wanting to say her age. I could see it. I don't, I don't want to. But you I said your mother in the 50s, so we kind of I, have a I was born in the 50s. Okay. So, yes. And I took, a, I took up tennis, and I play tennis twice a week. And you can find public courts and hit that ball, and it's it's great. But anyway, do, do whatever makes you walk. I don't care. Do whatever you want. Eat right. You know how to eat. You know how to sleep. You know, everybody knows the sleep hygiene stuff. I know. By now it's like, oh. Don't, don't. Stop drinking caffeine. I'm still drinking caffeine. It's late in the afternoon. Um, I'm having stop my tea. Right. So eat right, exercise, get sleep. That's the best thing you can do in addition to have fun and be social. So mm -hmm. start healthy. Sooner or later, we're all going to need medicines. Nobody gets out of here without needing medicines, honestly, at this point. So if you do get sick, take the less least risky route to help. You know, talk talk to your doctor about, can I try acupuncture? Can I try physical therapy? Can I try, I don't know, lemon drop soup? You know, any, any alternative. <laughs> or I want an older medicine. Don't give me the thing I see on TV. If you see it on TV, it's too new. Do you have an older medicine that's more tried and true? Maybe it's not quite as effective, but it's going to be effective enough. And if you do take medicine, stop taking it when you're well. Make sure you have a plan to stop taking it. Don't be taking that Coumadin for the next 40 years. You don't need it for 40 years. You need it for five or seven years. And then the doctor can probably tell you you're safe to stop it. And I'm just using that as an example, of course, right. but anything. Last, consider where you get your health information from. Yeah. You know, see if your doctor does speaking for pharmaceutical companies. I just fired my dermatologist because I went onto a website for acne. And there she was being paid by Accutane. I'm like, no, oh. sorry, you're fired. Not sorry. <laughs> Consider what websites you go to. Mm -hmm. And last plug for Med Shadow: we don't take pharmaceutical money. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, the first few pages of Google, it's the AMA, the AHA, it's yeah. WebMD. It's, and I'm not citing any one of those as bad. I'm simply saying they are going to toe the party line, which is medication procedures. That's the way to stay healthy and live long. And you and I both agree, and I think my listeners are here because they also don't want to go down that road necessarily. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's fun to be healthy. It really is. I <laughs> I got this whatever bug thing, and yesterday was one of those days where I got out of bed and I thought, oh my gosh, I just want to go back to bed. And it really gives you an appreciation of the normal, which is I get out of bed and I'm happy and I'm awake and I'm busy. I feel terrible for people that have chronic illness that can't get relief. Uh, or people true. that are on medication that you were talking about, don't take the medications for too long. My husband was at his cardiologist. He's sort of weaning himself off of that. But, you know, it was like, you need a statin, you need this, you need that. But he did need to go on some blood pressure medication. And sometimes but, you do. And he did. And every time we see this doctor, which is maybe every six or seven months, 
we have the statin conversation we had it the other day. And the first time he brought it up, I said, because of course, men won't ask any questions, my man, especially English, doesn't want to ask. I said, how long will, will he have to be on this? And he said, well, he'll be on it for the rest of his life. And I said, why would he need to be on it for the rest of his life? He said, well, by the time he's 70, he's in his, he's 59. By the time he's 70, he can probably wean himself off because that's when he'll really start feeling the side effects. So we'll probably take him off, but he'll be on other medications. And I, I mean, this whole thing was coming out of his mouth and my head was about to explode. And I just looked at him and I said nothing. I, I was gobsmacked, as they say. I could not answer him. And I said, to us, that's a good reason for him not to start. If you plan on having this patient on a medication for 20 years without taking anything else into consideration. So we won the statin war for this week. Oh, can I say one more thing? Please do. We mentioned, we mentioned cold and flu medicines. Oh, we did. And, please. And, yes. And so... I was reading an article the other day about the role of temperature in your health, in mm. your body. And I'll be writing a blog about this. So you by next week, it'll be on the website. Okay, good. But how important it is to let the let a fever happen. Every every red-blooded creature on earth gets a fever when they're sick. Mm -hmm. And it's your body's way of burning out the bad stuff. And so people who use cold and flu medicine that include things like acetaminophen and other things that lower your fever tend to be sick for three or four days longer. So if you do need to, if you do need relief from, from the side effects of your body fighting the cold and flu, uh, which is nasal congestion, a runny nose and, and a sinus headache and, and ears congested, that, those are just side effects of the battle that's going on in your, in your body. Exactly. And you can do things like nasal lavage, which is disgusting, but very effective. You know, when you run the water up one nose and down the, the other side. Oh, I don't like that at all. I had to get the <laughs> bottle for a while. I was getting sinus infection. They're like, do this three times a day. And I'm like, once is all I can take. I'm sorry. It's disgusting, but it's so effective. When <laughs> yes. it, uh, it really works. It does so, work. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. funny. Yeah. A lot of these natural things that we do are, you know, they're not so pleasant. Working out is not so pleasant, but. I mean, I, for people that love to work out, I love to work out. I'm just saying it's, there are days when I'm thinking, this is the oh, last yeah. thing I want to do. I do not want to get on my bike. I do not want to go down in the gym. But I do because, as we said earlier, I like to be healthy. I like to feel good. And I know that these are proven. A lot of things may not be proven. It is proven that if we move our bodies and all the other things you said, Sue, we have a good chance yeah. of staying healthy. Move it or lose it. All right. So Sue's website is med, medshadow.org. And you can subscribe, which I'm going to do when we get off the phone, to read her blogs, etc. And do you take donations? Is that what I see? A little donate? Oh, there's we a little do, donate. We do take donations, and we have a staff of uh, editors and content managers who are posting new information every day. I only post every couple of weeks, but we've got new stuff three or four times a week. That's great. Really important stuff. I thank you so much for your time. Mm -hmm. um, really happy you're out there. I will do my best to share your website because it, I said it to you earlier before we started recording. And for people that are new to this podcast, one of my missions in life is to help people avoid prescriptions and procedures they don't need. I, I have no problem with you need them, get them. But let's just try and stay on this side of all that medical madness. I'm with you. Good. Thanks. And I'm delighted to have been listening to your podcast and I'm a subscriber. So oh, thank, thank you, you so much. Appreciate it. Happy to listen to you. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. People, I'll be back next week with another fabulous guest. Until then, you be well. 
Hey, before you go, peeps, I was just wondering if we are connected on social media. If not, let's do that. You can find me on Instagram at rebelwell50. Same on Twitter. Facebook, it's Rebellious Wellness Over 50. And hey, don't be a stranger. Comment. Let me know what you'd like to hear about on the podcast or what questions you have about aging better and living rebelliously. 